Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. I want you to picture a young man about my age, and he's sequestered in a tiny monastic cell. He goes by the name of Brother Martin, and he has what you might call an overactive conscience, for he carries within him a deep desire for spiritual perfection. It's why he entered the monastery. You see, what he wants more than anything is to experience a deep and abiding peace, to know that he is righteous in the eyes of God, forgiven, acceptable, and loved. And thus he became known for spending countless hours in the confessional, seeking forgiveness and justification. In a sense, he was very focused on himself, his prayer, his practice, his piety. Every dark thought he had was unearthed, and even his impure motives confessed. He was scrupulous to the T fearful that he would forget to confess some sin and that in failing to confess, that God would then fail to pardon. But the deeper he dove into the system of confession and penance, the deeper his despair came that he could ever please God. But then one day everything changed. Brother Martin had a revelation, an awakening, we might say, or perhaps a conversion. It came as he read Paul's letter to the Romans, the same epistle we just heard today, and what he found, or maybe the great truth that found him, was that justification, the complete and total forgiveness of his sins, that this was a gift that God had freely bestowed upon him, and that his justification could not be earned or added to or supplemented or even withheld by a priest. And about this experience, Martin Luther would later say, and I quote, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I thought about Luther a lot this week as people kept asking me what I was doing for Lent, or perhaps if I was giving something up. It's a fair question given the nature of our liturgical season, but it's also a question that always makes me just a little curious. Is Lent really about what we do? 
Because if the Bible readings chosen for today are any indicator, I think the answer would be a clear no. I mean, right, our gospel reading for Matthew is all about Jesus's faithfulness, not ours. And in today's reading from Romans, it's the exact same situation. In fact, if one were to analyze the grammatical structure of both readings, they're not written in the imperative voice, but rather the indicative voice. And the difference between the two is this. A command comes in the imperative voice. Do this. But when news is announced, when there's a stating of a complete action that has already taken place, that news always is delivered in the indicative voice. Not a do this, but rather a this has been done. And what I just have us notice, and maybe be a little curious about, is that the lectionary does not give us a single do this reading to kick off our Lenten observance. The readings chosen, they do not tell us what we should do. No, their purpose is to open the doors to paradise, as if to announce, on your behalf, this has been done. And so I want to tell you a story from seminary when this idea really clicked for me. It was my senior year, and I was working on my honors thesis under the tutelage of Kate Sondriger. Kate has the sharpest theological mind of any person I have ever met. And because I looked up to Kate, I had a very strong desire to please her and to do a good job. I chose a topic for my thesis that I knew she herself had spent a lot of time researching, and that's the Christian doctrine of sanctification, or that process by which you and I become more like Christ. And so the way this would work is that every week, I would give Kate a chapter of my thesis, and then we would sit in her office. She would silently read what I wrote in front of me, and then we'd have a conversation. Well, pretty early on, I think it was our second meeting, I could tell that Kate was not really pleased with the direction I was taking. Personally, I thought I was being pretty clear about all we had to do to be sanctified. And I thought I wrote quite brilliantly about the importance of our prayer, our practice, our piety. But as Kate read my words, she grimaced. And she frowned. And she shook her head. And so naturally, I feared that she had lost my essay and was reading someone else's by mistake. <laughs> But then I looked, and it said Newton in the top right corner. And so I was really disturbed, and I interrupted her reading. I said, Kate, what's wrong? Am I saying something heretical? Are my sources inadequate? Am I not a good writer? I've worked all week on this. My one goal in life right now is to please you, Kate. What am I doing wrong? 
And this brilliant theologian and woman of prayer looked at me with so much tenderness and so much firmness. And she said something I'll never forget. You're a good writer. I know you've worked really hard on this, and your logic is sound. But what you're missing, she said, is the how much more. I didn't know it at the time, but this was a clear reference to verses 15 and 17 of today's reading from Romans, where Paul writes, For if the many died by the sin of the one man, how much more did the gift that came through Christ overflow to the many? And then, for if by the sin of the one man death reigned, how much more will those who receive God's grace reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? What you're missing, she said, is the how much more. This was Kate's way of telling me that the grammar of theology isn't the imperative voice, but the indicative voice, and that the main purpose of the theologian is not to tell us what we should do, but rather to point to the cross and then proclaim, this has been done. And the same is always true about Lent. We enter this time of self-examination and prayer not focused on what we must do, but on what Christ has done, not pleading for forgiveness, but rejoicing that we have it, not challenging ourselves to love perfectly, but reminding ourselves that we are perfectly loved, we start our journey with the how much more. And just to root our Lenten observance and what I'll call the how much more of God, I want you to take a deep breath and to listen again to what Paul says in today's reading from Romans. And I invite you to listen to these words, not with your ears, but with your heart. In verse 15, he says, the grace of God and the gift that has come through Jesus Christ is overflowing into your life right now and will do so forever. In verse 16, he says, the gift that came by the grace of Jesus has brought justification, meaning the complete and total eradication of your sins, past, present, and future. Verse 17, he says, that you have received an abundant provision of grace, and the gift of righteousness, and that you will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, he says, the one righteous act of Jesus has brought justification and life, not just for you, but for all people. This is what Kate wanted me to see. It's what she meant by the how much more. Yes, we sin, but how much more does God forgive? Yes, we walk away, but how much more does God stay with us? Yes, we falter and we fail, but how much more does God secure the victory? What you are missing, she said, is the how much more.
And so in the name of the church, I do invite you to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. But do so mindful of our friend, Brother Martin, knowing it is possible to pray without ceasing and yet still miss the how much more. For the meaning of Lent is not found in what we do, but in the how much more of God, the how much more of what Christ has done to bring life and justification to all. Amen.